Hello, everyone, and welcome to Health Law Talk presented by Shahardi Sherman Williams. Before we get started, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube, linked in the description below. We hope you enjoy this episode. And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, depending on when you're listening to this. This is uh, another health uh, health law talk episode with Conrad Meyer and Rory Bellina. Rory, good morning, everyone. And today we're we're doing part two of our series under uh, COVID and mental health. And uh, Rory and I have been talking about this. We think it's a very timely issue. And uh, we've had part one with adolescents today. We're doing part two: COVID, mental health, and adults um, and families. Yes. And, and so we have two special guests with us today, Felicia Kleinpeter and Christopher O'Shea. Are they on the phone, uh, Felicia? Yes. Hey, good, good afternoon. Okay, so we're going to go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> good morning, good afternoon, whatever time you're listening to this. Uh, Felicia, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience and give a background about what you are, what you do, and, and, and give the audience an idea about uh, how you handle mental health. Uh, thank you. Um, my name is Felicia Kleinpeter. I am the co-founder and chief executive officer at Imagine Recovery in Uptown New Orleans. Uh, Imagine Recovery is an outpatient mental health and substance use treatment facility. And um, I am, to be transparent, I am a person in long-term recovery from substances and mental health issues. So I you know, have a good perspective on helping people get through things, having been through things, and uh, service, you know, adults and families here in our center and, you know, on the phone and things like that. Fantastic. Christopher, what about you? Hey, everybody. Uh, Christopher O'Shea. I am a co-founder of Imagine Recovery in New Orleans and the co-founder of TPN Health. Um, I have a background. I have an MSW. I am a combat veteran from Afghanistan and Iraq, and I'm also a person who has been living his life coping with mental health. Well, Christopher, thank you for your service. Yes, thank you. And 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 just for the, the audience purposes, give a brief uh, uh, background. What does Imagine Recovery do? Imagine Recovery, um, we have treatment programs, intensive outpatient, outpatient, and soon uh, a level of care called partial hospitalization. So people come to us for with substance use issues, mental health issues, uh, we have group therapy, individual therapy, psychiatry, family sessions, family education, family support, uh, those kind of things. So some people go to treatment, you know, residential and go away. We are in the city in real life. You come to us on a weekly, you know, for 10 weeks, 12 weeks, sometimes longer. And uh, let us help you to, you know, get on a better mental health track, get skills, you know, connect, find community and all those things. Very, very interesting, and thank you for that introduction. So I think we could just jump right in. Uh, today's recording date is September 17th, and we're Louisiana Lisa's in its fourth wave of this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so, you know, I, I think we'd like to start out with talking with you, um, Felicia, and Christopher as well. What, let's talk about going back um, in time, you know, right before COVID hit. What were you seeing uh, with your patient populations, and then as COVID hit, can you kind of walk us through what uh, what transitions you saw and what, what different issues did you see pop up? Would you like me to start? Sure. sure. Absolutely. Sure. 
Okay, so um, thinking about right before COVID hit, you know, whenever, you know, you say that, it's like I take this really deep breath. Um, We were seeing, you know, people came in with mental health issues, certainly, and, uh, you know, alcohol issues, uh, other substances, and people were living in, you know, living in the world and and sort of, you know, as, as we would see, normally people have issues, and so we were able to treat a real broad population. Uh, with that and help them achieve, you know, a life worth living and, and all that stuff. You know, when COVID hit, the sh- it shifted to some degree. Um, people immediately started experiencing more mental health issues. People that didn't necessarily have one before didn't identify as having anything. That came to the forefront right away, um, you know, with the isolation, anxiety, fear, and all those things, that re- depression, being so isolated, uh, those really came out to the forefront. And then fairly quickly, because of those things, we started seeing more alcohol abuse, substance abuse, you know, uh, just just to try to sort of snap out of the way one was feeling in this isolation. And, and, and I guess one of the things that we'd like to know is, so let's talk about, you know, the immediate impact of COVID, which you sort of addressed just momentarily. So what did you see now? We're, what, a year, almost a year and a half right, later? Right. What are the differences are you seeing now, present day, from a year ago when COVID first started and you started seeing these mandates and lockdowns, we're going to shut everything down, no more school, no more in person. Now it's mask mandates, six feet, you know, kids can't go here, there. Um, and now even vaccine thing, uh, mandates, you know, in some some schools. Sure. Uh, and, 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 and also for and how, how is that affecting the adults and the families? What are you seeing a year when it first started and then present day? That's a great question. Christopher, why don't you start with that? Okay. Um, so I would say. Uh-oh. We just lost Christopher. Um, you know, when, when this began, we, we all basically thought maybe a few months at worst. Um, and I think the, the, the exposure, um, as well as a ton of the economics that began affecting everyone, um, you always have to look at the economic side. Um, but a lot of it's fear, the unknown for any human being, and especially those whose mental health starts getting triggered, as well as caregiving. You know, um, we all had to shift into these different roles uh, within our own communities and families. So as an adult, that falls on you. I see a lot of fatigue. I see a lot of people who are just at a point where their mental health is just so worn down. Um, and, and that's developing into many other uh, issues. Um, uh, the un- instability of the political system, the economic system, all of that overall is always going to trigger underlying mental health as well as, you know, existing mental health for people. And, and I don't, I don't disagree with that. I, th- I think, I think uh, we've heard on our, on our, on the adolescent podcast, a similar situation where things have progressed. So um, I guess the question, let me, let me tee it off to both of you mm-hmm. is, some some therapists that we have talked to have said that in the in the initial lockdown that they've seen not just negative effects but there were some positive effects like yeah. uh, kids were focused uh, they seemed to disassociate maybe from some some negative friendships and were able to focus more uh, and, and so uh, c- can we contrast the negative effects did y'all see 
positive effects initially, and have those transitioned to negative effects? What have you seen uh, in that dynamic? I'll take that. Um, you know, that's interesting. There were some positive effects from COVID. Uh, there, were, you know, people whose professions take them, uh, you know, on the road a lot. Whether it's you know musician friends of ours or people that travel for work uh, regularly, um, or even people that just go away to work, right, uh, from the home. Now, kids are at home, families are at home, uh, kids are doing telehealth, adults are working uh, on their computers from home, and that gave a lot of people time to really get to know their families, spend more time with their animals, spend more time outside, really bond and connect. So there were some positive things. I know people that, musicians, let's say, whose careers have taken them on the road for 30 years and have never had one year to be home with their kids and their wives, you know, so there were some positive effects. I think there were a lot of challenges um, when you mentioned initially kids no longer being able to go to school. I mean, we have friends with younger children that they're having to homeschool and keep them focused on, you know, uh, over Zoom. That can be difficult. I know something that we implemented here right away was to do a virtual um, parenting class, like some skills, dialectical behavioral therapy skills, because all of a sudden people are having to homeschool or, you know, be at home all the time. So, there were definitely some positives and some negatives, and I think we've all navigated through this very well. And I know something that we had to implement here is move very quickly to find solutions and find support for people. I understand. That's, 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 I, I can see that. I can understand that. That seems to reflect what others were seeing in the, in the adolescent world. Christopher, I have a question for you. So if, we're, if we go back and, and talk about the, the various mandates that we have, um, what did you see, if any, uh, let's talk about the mask mandate first. What effects, if any, did you see on your patient population? And in addition to the mask mandate, if they were forced to work from home or be socially distant or you know, couldn't go to their usual gym or couldn't go to a restaurant or a bar that they like to go to, what kind of effects did you see with adults when, you know, when, when COVID kind of started and we had the, the most serious lockdowns per se? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, it's interesting you're bringing that up because, you know, when when the initial lockdown, one of the positives that came was some of the things Felicia had said, and as well as you had mentioned, um, that all of a sudden you started to look at what's important. You know, I, I think the, any crisis, especially one that is a pandemic, um, forced people to start to think what's what's the important priority. Um, and so I do believe that like going to the gym or being able to go to a movie theater or any of the things that immediately were taken away, I think all of a sudden people shifted and began looking at, you know, different forms of enjoyment, recreation, intimacy, interaction, um, which, you know, I, I got to tell you, you know, we all are always worried about technology but without technology, I wonder where we would all have been um, when the mandates were forced onto all of us. And, and Christopher, I've had a few uh, therapist clients contact me, you know, unfortunately asking for referrals for divorce attorneys because the the lockdown where, yes. you know, they were, you know, uh, husband and wife or spouse and spouse were away from nine to five or had one had a traveling job, one did it. And then they're stuck at home, ver- both working virtually. That had a big, um, they weren't used to being together that much of a time. So how did you see that effect? Um, or you know, Felicia, how did you see that affect your, your population? 
Well, we did see that to some degree. And uh, we know just from being mental health professionals that there was a large rise of you know, um, abuse uh, in the household where, you know, that kind of thing was happening. And, and uh, you know, if someone's not not going away, like you're saying, there's a lot more separation, which kind of made the relationship manageable. So we did have some instances where people that were forced together for so long um, did not fare well together. And so decided to part ways or get counseling or get treatment or whatever to make the situation and the relationship last one thing that I wanted to comment on in your last question with the masks is um, it's been an interesting process as far as the mask mandates. There, I believe there was a lot of resistance at first or kind of like we'll do anything we have to do to get through this. And and there was a lot of resistance on our clients part initially, let's say, when we were able to we're still masked, you know, in our building the whole time as a health provider, the staff is masked, the clients are masked, they're all vaccinated. But um, am I am I going to be able to connect with people sitting in a room with a mask on? And am I going to be able to? And what we have found is, yes, that we absolutely have. It's just become the new normal, you know. And um, and so also something to consider is there's, um, you know, people that are traveling this journey of recovery, whether it's mental health or substances, it's about being selfless kind of thing. So even if I'm vaccinated and I know I'm OK, I put on my mask because I'm thinking of others, you know, I want to protect other people. So there's, I think a lot more people have kind of gotten into that mindset that um, I don't want to create fear in other people if I'm walking around not masked. Does that make sense? It makes sense. I mean, I, I guess the, the flip question to that would be, well, if you're vaccinated and you're wearing masks, then so what? I mean, you know, you're already vaccinated, you know, and and I'm not and I'm not I'm not trying to politicize this, but in a sense, that's the that's the flip question that that we I mean, the, what, what we have is we have calls from clients and they'll say, well, wait a minute, I'm getting t- calls from my employees who say, well, I'm already vaccinated, why do I have to wear a mask now? Right. So that's the flip side. So when someone says that from from a mental health standpoint, how would you counsel someone and say, okay? I hear what you're saying. What would you tell someone if you if you heard that comment? Um, I, I could answer that, yeah, and and I think there's, like you said, it's not political. It's very much um, what Felicia indicated, which is it's it's a way to uh, to alleviate a community in a community response less stress on you. You know, if 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 you look at the question when it comes to uh, why people are wearing masks or not wearing masks. <clears throat> the truth is you're, you have to wear a mask. Uh, we've been doing it now off and on for a year and a half now. It, it, we spend way too much time discussing whether we should or shouldn't. It, it's the least important thing of what's going on. Right. Um, and, and yet it is the flag that we all go to to look at. So I understand that. But uh, to me, there's so many other more important issues um, that are happening and, and destroying communities and, and as different racial groups and economic groups. Those are the things we should be focusing on, not whether I should have to wear a paper mask. I understand. And, 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 and additionally, oh, excuse me, I just uh, wanted to point out, I wanted to point out, you know, there was that short window of time where we thought we were all safe, the people that were vaccinated. So we went around without masks. And then a lot of us 
got the Delta variant, you know, fully vaccinated, wearing masks all the time. So we're still able to transmit this thing. It's just in another form right now. So I feel like we're at the same place we were at the beginning as far as the necessity and requirements to wear masks and keep ourselves safe and others safe. So, you know, that's where we are right now. So let's let's mm-hmm. let's pivot for a second. So I mean, obviously yeah. we we have a we have a mental health crisis going on right now with COVID for various reasons, yeah. right? We can all agree to that. Um, mm-hmm. So w- when you both, what advice would you give our listeners to say, okay, what are the signs and symptoms that a family or an adult is beginning to have, sort of a mental health? problem or issue or crisis related to these COVID measures? What should people look for? Felicia? Oh, I would thought maybe you'd want to take that one. Sure. So, <laughs> so well, you know, and I, 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 and I said it to both of y'all. So, Chris, if you want to take the first part, Felicia, I want yeah. to hear your thoughts. So, Chris, go ahead and take that out. Take that question. Yeah. So, uh, you know, what's interesting is even prior to COVID's outbreak, you know, the last year, few years, you know, mental health has become less and less of a, a you know, in the background topic. It, uh, you know, the, the nation began embracing it, the, the world's embracing it. So there were good indications that you could talk about mental health, you could talk about stress, depression, anxiety, and, and you weren't looked at as odd. Um, I think what really, you know, it goes back to the other question where you talked about what, what's happening among families when they were forced into this situation, um, having to live together in such an uh, intimate way that they weren't comfortable. It's normal for people to feel uncomfortable in a routine in their relationship is disrupted the way COVID disrupted that. Um, and as Felicia said, and you guys know, it definitely resulted in some people divorcing or separating or, or whatever it may be. But, but I, I think when you come back to what should you look for, it, it, it's the same thing you would always be looking for. Isolation. Are they becoming very angry over very non-important issues? You know, are they being oversaturated by watching news and editorials? And are they becoming very polarized in something to a level where they begin arguing with people in the family? You know, sleeping obviously has always been a big indicator when someone in the house is sleeping all the time. Their eating habits, not just not eating, but also only eating very uh, unhealthy foods all the time. You know, so there are there are lots of simple ways to notice it. Would you know by talking to a friend uh, just the average of up and down that we all have? Um, and then on the opposite side, becoming over analytical and being the helper. I think what we didn't see, what we didn't notice was the helpers who are way too codependent, way too connected to being that person in their their relationships and their community, you know, burn themselves out, you know, caregivers, secondary caregivers, all of those groups are the highest levels of suicide ideation, you know, substance use, increased misuse. Um, so I think, I think indicators are that you would look for is, you know, isolation is always a big one. The other would be outbursts of uh, emotional, you know, deregulated emotions being too intense over a subject that isn't as important uh, as it should be. Those are indicators. So, sure. So, Felicia, did you want to add anything onto that? 
I thought that was a great answer. I agree with Christopher. And like, you know, typically what we would tell families is any any pretty drastic change in behavior, you know, change in communication and, and all of those things. But I agree fully with what Christopher said. So if you're seeing, you know, a friend, family member, loved one, you know, what are some good resources available for adults or, you know, what's kind of the, the first step if you think you've got someone who's having a mental health issue going on? Whether it be whether it be your spouse, loved one, or a friend, I know that's a very delicate topic to talk about with friends. But um, you know, kind of, what's that first step that that we should take? Well, you know, there are. Um, Christopher, did you want to say? Did you want to go first one? No, you're already oh, in. Go. Oh, okay. I, I heard you take a breath. <laughs> um, you know. I, we here are available. I mean, there are many resources online. There are, you know, suicide hotlines and, and mental, you know, on our website, imaginerecovery.com, we have several crisis line numbers and all of that. You know, I recommend reaching out to a treatment provider, uh, a medical, a mental health professional um, to find out sort of like what the signs and symptoms are, what what's available to help. I feel calls all the time for people that just are looking for something. It has nothing to do with my center. Just how can I help point them in the right direction? Call a psychiatrist, make an appointment, call a mental health therapist, just to get some support because it really is difficult to navigate without any knowledge. What are the next steps to take? How do I approach that person? How, how, can, I, how can I appear loving and helpful, which is the intent, without uh, acute, being accusatory, like we're worried about you or being overly dramatic? So. Um, I know Christopher earlier and I were talking about Tulane School of Social Work has uh, a website with research and resources for COVID. We do on our site. And there are some other, you know, places you can go. Christopher, why don't you chime in? Yeah, I, you know, I'm just listening to Felicia talk and, and, and I wanted to get to a place where where as a human have I been able to share something that I wasn't willing to share uh, that was going on for me. And it, I think it really comes down to if you have someone in your family, give them the space with some empathy, some compassion, and more importantly, share what your own struggle is. I mean, Felicia's in long-term recovery as well as I am to substance misuse and abuse. And so what, what, what makes that system work so well, peer support systems work so well? And, and it translates really easy to families and friends and even coworkers is when you empathetically share your own struggle, it immediately can trigger that response from someone to say, hey, I've been dealing with that too. Um, and, and so that's the initial thing I think any normal person, whether you're a truck driver, a, a professor, a banker, you know, if you can look at yourself with someone you care about and think of your own struggle, because we all have it right now, that's always the best way to start opening the door where they may share with you. And then once they share with you, the procedures Felicia talked about, you know, whether it's a, a online group to join, you know, the biggest thing we recognize today is the lack and sense of community. Um, and, and there are ways in which you can engage. They're not as good as in person, um, but they're also not as uncomfortable. Um, so th there is some positives that have come from this using technology. And if you don't have that ability, because that's the thing we see within New Orleans, are lots of people who don't have internet. They don't have laptop computers. You know, they may have a cell phone. You know, there are other ideas. One of them is that we do is get someone to go out of the house. Let's go for a walk. Let's do something that moves the body 
and 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 that moving the body is another thing we're realizing during the pandemic that if you can get people to do dancing or shaking or that they're it's unlocking them a little bit so that they might be able to share what's going on so so let me ask you this i mean i, I i've heard and and let me ask you both these questions would you both agree that there is a lack of capacity in terms of mental health providers for the need yes Yes. Okay. So, so if we can yeah. both agree, if we can all agree to that, in other words, we know there's a lack of, of capacity in terms of the providers. What would you tell the family, the adult, the individual who might not be able to afford a therapist, who might not be able yeah. to, to call a psychiatrist and make an appointment and get in quick enough? Right. What, where, where do they go? What, what kind? Of, I mean, what's available for them in terms of? Uh, a community support or a resource-based support for those individuals? Um, there are many services in New Orleans, for example, that work on either free treatment programs, sliding scale treatment programs, Medicaid programs. Um, I, we, we refer a lot to places that will take somebody for free that may make for therapy charge $18 an hour on a sliding scale. Um, so there definitely are places and uh, systems that are in place for people, there just aren't necessarily enough of them. Um, mm. And go ahead, Christopher. Yeah, I mean, no, your point's 100%. Uh, you know, so Felicia's right about that, but even those places that we have these relationships are backed up. And they're, they're you know, uh, that's always been the story, but during the pandemic, it's even worse. Um, you know, as far as psychiatry goes, even if you're paying for one, it can take four weeks to see one right now. So, I mean, th th these are the real things, you know, so, so we talked to all these reasons. Someone comes to you and says, I need help. You get them a psychiatrist and that psychiatrist says, I don't have an appointment for five weeks. So, you know, we all know, you know, we, we actually dealt with that recently um, with someone who had all the abilities to pay and, and it still didn't matter. So that's really, really a huge issue. Um, and as far as community, the, the community has stepped up, whether it's churches, synagogues, you know, uh, community areas, our Buddhist center here, you know, there's lots of different groups that are doing it, but more importantly, I, I would say right now, telehealth has, has made the economics a little easier on everyone's side. Um, so that's one of the benefits I think of telehealth is, is if we can get it to a place where, um, uh, that, you know, people in those populations who can't afford, you know, $20 even an hour, um, can get services. Uh, I, I think that's one of the directions we need to move. Christopher, you, you read my mind because my next question was going to be about telehealth. So, uh, Christopher and Felicia, Christopher, you brought it up, but, um, both of you, I'd love for you to chime in. Talk to me about how your practices pivoted to telehealth, you know, when the pandemic hit, you know, the, the pros and cons of trying to provide therapy through telehealth, because in our previous episode, we definitely heard about some barriers of not being face to face. And then mm. I'd love to hear the pros about it as well. And then, you know, how you'd like to see it uh, continue to evolve in your practice. I'd love to take this one first. Um, I have to say, um, as the, you know, operator of Imagine Recovery, when we learned of the lockdown was coming, uh, I have to say telehealth has been an absolute 
for lack of a better term, godsend. <laughs> um, we were faced with a situation where our whole business would shut down. Our clients wouldn't have services. And literally in one day, we were able to, you know, get a Zoom, a HIPAA compliant Zoom platform, figure out how to do breathalyzing and drug screen over telehealth, do individual therapy sessions and group therapy. And so our clients that might have just been without telehealth, they would have just been at home without any support, any education, any guidance, were very quickly able to just, okay, it's Monday starting on Wednesday, you're going to be sent a Zoom link. We help them all figure out how to log in, how to download the app, how to do all that. And, uh, and basically seamlessly, we're able to serve them. Now, the great thing about telehealth too at that time is you can see people's faces because in your own home, in your own private space, you're not having to wear a mask. So it's been an incredible um, opportunity for us to be able to continue to serve people. Um, what I would like to see moving forward is, you know, some insurance companies or law, you know, state to state laws are prohibiting. Uh, let's say I have a client that just now evacuated to another state, right? A Tulane student. Um, some, you know, doing that state to state telehealth. There are certain times where that's allowed and then they pull it out. But just being able to open up the services so that people can have state to state uh, therapy, which is reimbursed and also, you know, legal. So that's what I would like to see. Sure, sure. Now, Christopher, mm -hmm. did you find that you had, when you had to pivot to telehealth, did you find that you had the same effective uh, therapy sessions or was there something missing there? You know, the all, yeah, I, I really appreciate this call. I, I've thought a lot about this. And and I can tell you as a person who's like the hair club for men president that's also a client, you know, I myself began having to engage as a person in long-term recovery on recovery meetings online. And, uh, and, and so personally, I was very skeptical. And uh, I, I ended up getting a huge benefit. What we've determined, though, is people who are just now engaging in therapies and, and mental health support, their reaction to it is not the same as someone who has maybe a few years or time in person. Um, and, and I think also there, there is something about physical presence, no matter how much, you know, we're, we're big believers in education and, and having a bright therapist, a smart therapist and, and an aware therapist. But there is something that's not tangible that exists when you're sharing a space in a room, as well as getting in your vehicle on the bus and going to a place and sitting with others. There's something that to this day we still haven't yet identified, but there's something that that's healing about that, right? So that's mm -hmm. never going to be replaced by the actual virtual. The other thing that I found was, even though I, I like Felicia's attitude about seeing faces, I can tell you as a person who works in therapy, that not seeing someone's body, their physical presence, I lose indicators on, are they plugged in? Are they involved? So in therapy, I think there's a downside to that. Um, uh, on the upside, like Felicia said, I think there were lots of people who, during the pandemic who had a severe amount of anxiety about going out in public and being out in public. This helped alleviate that. So, you know, uh, we didn't make them come in person. Um, that was interesting. Felicia did something where we have enough space in buildings that for people, we wanted them to get out of their houses during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So she would allow them to come and, and 
stay one person in separate rooms at our facility and join virtually. So uh, we saw a much healthier uptick in the people that we did that with than the people who just stayed in their homes. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there's all kinds of research that's been out about, uh, you know, what are the downsides? Um, I think what Felicia said, the out, the, the other part of that is it's allowed people cross borders and states to r realize their issue was, uh, there were people from all over the world and all walks of life. So the, there was some of that, which I, I think was good. So there's so a couple of follow up on that, Chris, okay, Christopher. So let me ask you this. So you mentioned earlier about not being able to see body language and body cues when you were mm -hmm. evaluating your patients. Mm -hmm. How much of that would, and, and this is to both of you, uh, Christopher first, what do you think, how much of that is, is involved in your assessment of a patient's condition? You know, it's interesting. Uh, Felicia will actually be better at this question than I am. I can tell you this, that body language uh, and, and, the, and the levels in which all therapists have, have become educated in the last five years um, is a lot more important than we realize. Psychiatry has used it for many, many years. It's a big part of their training. But for us, I think it's a real indicator. Um, it's also difficult to see if they're actually looking at you uh, on a screen. You think they are, but they may not be. Um, I, I think all of that plays a role. I think the, the biggest thing that Felicia will probably answer is we do a tremendous amount of research on your past history. Um, and so I think a lot of the information is, is really being processed that way. And then we usually do have a psychiatrist, a, a psychologist, and a social worker analyzing the information that you've given us. So I, I, it's important, but um, I think you just have to spend more time than you normally would. Understood. Felicia, you want to follow up on that? Yeah, I agree with Christopher. Body language and physical presence is really important. Um, um, you know, it is an important factor, but, you know, when, when we're talking about telehealth, it uh, it was just a, a great substitute, you know, mm -hmm. and um, and and also let me say this being in person also helps somebody not have distractions because clients aren't allowed to have phones in the group room or in their sessions. So right. when we're on telehealth, right. as great as it is and as valuable as it's been, you know, you can tell people are looking down at their phones or they're doing this or doing that. So so, um, you know, there's upsides and downsides, certainly. But uh, I think people's body language says a lot about them when they come to therapy and sort of their their general, you know, presence. So that's what I think. So real quick, let me ask you this spot question. OK, what percentage of your patients did you see via telehealth pre-COVID? Christopher? Oh, uh, I think um, less than one percent. Felicia, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm sorry. Could you repeat the question? Absolutely. I uh, what percentage of your patients pre-COVID did you see via telehealth? Zero. Zero. Okay. So let's now let's let's the follow up. Obviously, what percentage of your patients now do you see post-COVID, Christopher? Uh, well, so we're probably at about. Uh, well, we do individual in person, so uh, I would say probably about 80%. Eighty Wow, that's a tremendous... That's, that's a big shift. Right. Okay, Felicia, what, what about you? Okay, I'm going to give you a timeline. And when COVID came, it was 100%. Okay. When we were able to come back in person, 
We have one out of four groups that's still virtual and some individual therapy and psychiatry. But here's the thing. When, when people evacuated mm-hmm. and we couldn't be open, our center didn't have power, 100% telehealth. So it's like being able to kind of shift and move, but knowing that it's always there to say, we don't have power, yeah. it's going to be on Zoom. So it mm. does shift and move, which having the opportunity mm. to do that is incredible. Great. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask the follow-up to this. Okay. So capacity-wise for both of you, okay. Ha, uh, what, in terms of, I don't know if you put in percentages or in terms of the number of patients, but what has telehealth done in terms of your ability to see numerosity, the number of patients? Uh, and can you quantify that? Uh, sure. I'll I'll start. Um, well, so, you know, our mission, what we believe, Felicia and I, um, we, it wouldn't. It didn't really matter. Uh, there, obviously, it was easier, and you could have larger groups if you choose. We don't, because to us, the capacity level of the therapists that are in, you know, some of our groups have two therapists in them. You know, our, our whole thing is there's a number you get to, to where a person isn't getting the value. So even though we had friends who owned other facilities, they were like, I now can have 40 people in a meeting, in a group. Uh, that to us seemed irresponsible. And so, you know, uh, for us, I think the group size didn't shift. I think what Felicia uh, can share on is it did allow us versatility for those people who couldn't actually physically come to see us. Got it. Okay. Yeah. It increased our ability because as a, 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 a facility licensed by the state of Louisiana, we're able to treat anyone in Louisiana. So it did increase our clients from Baton Rouge or Thibodeau that that maybe once may have driven here, but they were able to join every day from, from their home. So being able to service people from other cities besides New Orleans increased. Gotcha, gotcha. That's a, that's a really good point. And I think that, like like Conrad mentioned, telehealth is only expanding, and so it'll continue to allow yeah. you to, to reach more patients. And like Christopher said, the, the newer patients are just so accustomed to doing things virtual. So, well, I think once you open the box, I mean, I mean, remember the red yeah. tape we had with telehealth before this, and so we remember. Right. I mean, literally within days, you know, uh, CMS. Uh, came out and just cut all the red tape. It was gone. Yep. Like I, I was like, well, for years we've been looking at this and saying, well, when, how long before the? So the, the, I guess now the the, the, the cat's out the bag. I mean, right. you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. And the, and the issues before where you had to have you know a certain software and it had it was very expensive. Oh. It was it had to be run on. Then a you had the licensure and reimbursement. You, 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 you had to have servers that were HIPAA compliant. Right. It right. Was, right. It, it and, was and overnight astronomical. Yeah, and overnight you were able to go to you know consumer products. So I think that's that's great, and I'd love to hear I'd love to hear from both of you. You know, going forward, we're we're like I mentioned in the beginning of the call, we're kind of in our fourth wave, and it looks like we're coming down from that. But going forward, where do you see your your patients going? And I guess my question means, you know, what issues do you see that are going to continue, or what issues do you see will will go away for your patients, and kind of how can you predict, you know, what's coming next, I guess, for you? From a COVID standpoint? From a COVID standpoint, yeah. Do you see that, you know, more people are getting vaccinated and more people are getting kind of accustomed to this new world, per se, where things are more spread out and you have to show a vaccination card in certain places? You know, where do you see your patients and or new issues going from here? 
Trace? Um, you know, I'm thinking actually, do you want to take it first? Or okay. just yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll answer. <laughs> so, so I, I really, I'm glad we're, we're bringing this up. The first thing that's really starting to happen is when I talked about people's fatigue, um, it's also trauma. This is a traumatic thing that we're in that you don't begin to really process until it starts winding down or stepping away. Um, I, I think the other aspect is we all had this dream that there would be an end date for this thing and the world would return, right? And, uh, and that we all know now that's not going to happen. Um, I think in regards to uh, when we talked about people who maybe sought out mental health during this period of time for the first time and really engaged in it, I think what's going to be interesting is when it is beginning to be back in person, the anxieties of that. You know, you, you've gotten used to conveying whatever you're doing, whatever form of therapy you're doing or, or community group uh, through, a, through a lens of a screen in your own home. Now you physically are in the presence of others. So there's going to be some interesting positives and negatives that are going to come from that. I also, Felicia and I both have been talking a lot about this. We would like to be able to, you know, continue using the option of telehealth, but also maybe hybrid versions where there are some people in a group and some people on the screen. Um, and uh, so I think I think there's options that have come out of this traumatic experience, and I'm going to stay positive on that. Um, I, I think also uh, in rural areas, you um, can now have access to better therapy. Um, because if they can do it over virtual, it allows them, as Felicia said, within a state to maybe go and be a part of someplace. You know, obviously we think our place is amazing, right? And so, um, you know, that's the, there, there are positives out of this. Excellent. Felicia? Yeah, I would like to say just, uh, just uh, you know, addressing the telehealth and being able to continue to do it. It's really important that insurance companies support it. And, and on from here moving forward, forever continue to reimburse for it. I, I can't imagine what would happen if they just decide one day to say, sorry, we're not doing that anymore. So just just putting that out there. When I see changes in people, you know, people have different issues now. Um, you know, I think I, when Christopher brought up economics before, you know, I, I look at, you know, uh, people that are in different careers now than they were when they before the lockdown started. They, they had to, you know, their business was shut down, their, their livelihood was shut down, it's, which is why we have a lot of um, restaurants and, and stuff like that looking for staff. People that once worked somewhere now had to move on to something else. So, and I think in those people's lives with new careers and different economics create different stressors. And so um, the things that people are facing, you know, will always have a certain degree of anxiety, depression, ADHD, substance use. But but the but sort of the causes and conditions maybe have shifted a little bit. And I believe as people as this, you know, ends, quote unquote, ends and people are back in person, there is that level of anxiety that Christopher talked about and and trying to get back into a comfort level, you know, reattaching to other people and reconnection. There's been such a long stretch of kind of not doing that. It's like, you know, with the first time you went to hug somebody, it was like wow, this feels odd. I don't remember how to do that. You know what I mean? Of course, you're wearing a mask and all that. But so I think there's some reintegration. And a lot of the skills that Christopher mentioned, the mind-body medicine skills, you know, the mindfulness, the um, the dancing, the walking, you know, just connecting with other people 
is really, really important to get back into a comfort, how to how to engage back in the world, you know, post-COVID. I agree. And, and yeah. I, I guess the, the, let me ask you that we could do a whole show on insurance reimbursement. I mean, we could do mul- we could do multiple shows on that. And, and I'm sure we'd have a, some very, some very interesting discussions about yes. that. Yes. So so let me ask you this. Both of you have brought up a lot of topics, a lot of good points for families, adults uh, dealing with this uh, mental health crisis with covid and, and a lot of things going on. So I'd like to ask you what what. Can you give our listeners some some tangible resources, whether it's a website or something they can go to for more information uh, to help them with uh, with getting getting the help they need? Felicia, well, you know, off the top of my head, I can say, you know, I wish I had a bunch of things written down. I would give Imagine Recovery a call. Me specifically, I'm going to verbally tell people my cell phone number if you don't mind. It is 225-937-1132. That's my cell. I am available to, you can call me, text me. I can point you in the right direction to resources, whatever your needs are. Uh, Christopher and I are very fortunate to have national relationships and colleagues. So whether you're calling from New Orleans or some other state, we can help Mm -hmm. you with that. Like I said, on our website, there are crisis lines. There's suicide hotline, Tulane School of Social Work. There are many, many places to go, I, and I know Christopher has some he wants to share. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you, you know, I was talking to Felicia when I saw that this was something that, you know, we, we want to give to your, your listeners as well as any who listens down the road. Um, you know, Felicia's website, uh, which is imaginerecovery.com, at the top, there are all different current updated resources uh, for every type of human being and, 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 and different topics, um, you know, dealing with, you know, race and, and COVID and, and economics and COVID and, and, and every other aspect. So, so that would be a good website to go to. Um, there's also, uh, you know, if, if you go online, most universities in every major city have, have taken on the task putting out local uh, resources for the community. So if you live in wherever you're living and you're listening to this podcast, think of the university near you and go to their website and you will find very updated information. And, and the whole key here, guys, is the updated. Um, secondly, rightfully she just did, she put her cell phone out there. You also hopefully will find a site or people who will get on the phone with you and direct you um, in the right direction. Well, I appreciate it, both of you. I mean, I think uh, Rory and I would, would both uh, echo that. Yes. Uh, Very informative. Thank you so much for everything. Everything. This has been a fantastic show. We want to uh, really appreciate you taking the time to come on uh, and, and really tell our listeners about some of the things they can do and things that they see with COVID. And also, I mean, very importantly, about how telehealth has changed your practice uh, and your outreach. I think that's uh, and, and really the access to 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 the services that I think people so t- t- desperately need. So uh, to all our listeners, uh, we really want to thank Felicia and Christopher for coming on the show. Uh, if you like the show, please hit that subscribe button. Make sure that you subscribe to our podcast channel. Uh, we're going to be coming out with a part three on COVID mental health uh, dealing with uh, the elderly. And so we'll have some special guests dealing with elderly uh, folks and, and how they're dealing with COVID and mental health. So uh, thank you, Christopher. Thank you, Felicia. We really appreciate you. y'all coming thank on the you. show. And, uh, and sit, tight for, sit tight for a minute. We're going to wrap it up right here. 
Thank you for listening to Health Law Talk presented by Shahardi Sherman Williams. For more information or to contact us, please visit our website linked in the description below. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube linked in the description below. Thank you for listening.